Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blood of wicked proportions, an accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode Number 4 of the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Friday, November the 3rd. I guess we could call this the November edition of the Bobcast. Uh, November, of course, is the month when there's a lot of focus on men's health issues. And uh, we started doing this last year. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But um, let's live in the here and now. And uh, if you haven't already done so, um, you should really uh, kind of enlighten yourself on this whole Movember movement. There's a, a website in both Canada and the United States um, it's called the Movember Foundation. So if you Google that and go to it, um, if you want to get to the Canadian website, it's ca.movember.com. And uh, it's it's really uh, a good spot to visit. And it, it really focuses on these men's health issues, which are, are many here. And I should point out a few of them. Um, it says, across the world, men die an average six years younger than women and for reasons that are largely preventable. And I think that's the key, which means that it doesn't have to be that way. We can all take action to live healthier, happier, longer lives. So here are the top five things to know and do this from the Movember Foundation. Number one, make man time. Stay connected. Your friends are important and spending time with them is good for you. Catch up regularly. Check in and make time. Number two, have open conversations. You don't need to be an expert and you don't have to be the sole solution, but being there for someone listening and giving your time can be life-saving. Um, they've got some numbers here that say 70% of men say their friends can rely on them for support, but only 48% say that they rely on their friends. In other words, we're here for our friends, but we're worried about asking for help when we need it ourselves. So they say reaching out is crucial. Um, one of the other things, and I, I didn't realize this until now, is that one of the big aspects of Movember is, is also about mental health. We talk a lot about the, the, the various forms of men's cancer um, that they're combating, but one in, ten, one in 10 Canadian men will experience major depression in the course of their lives. Three out of four suicides are men. So Movember says, what can we do? We'll talk, ask, ask, listen, encourage, action, check in, and, and that's why they were so big on having men talking uh, to your friends and uh, making sure you're there for them if they need it. Um, number three thing on Movember for men is know the numbers. At 50, talk to your doctor about prostate cancer and whether it's right for you to have a PSA test, which is just a simple blood test. If you are of African or Caribbean descent or you have a father or brother with prostate cancer, you should be having this conversation at age 45. Know your numbers, know your risk, talk to your doctor. There's a tab there where you can, you can uh, uh, click on it to learn a lot more about uh, prostate cancer. Uh, number four, uh, this one's a good one, and this is the one we had a lot of fun with last year, um, but serious fun. Know thy nuts, simple. Get to know what's normal for your testicles. Give them a check regularly and go to the doctor if something doesn't feel right. And there's actually a video there that they uh, show, but also a tab that says learn more about testicular cancer. And this one's near and dear to the Bobcast for reasons we'll explain 
in just a moment. So it says here, so know your nuts. It's that simple. The best thing you can do for your testicles is give them a bit of a feel on a regular basis. If something doesn't seem right, head to the doctor, and then they have some fun. And, and the reason that I started the whole Movember thing on the Bobcast last year was because the Movember Foundation had sent as a bit of a gimmick um, uh, a soap on a rope shaped like men's testicles. Um, so, and it came with a very easy, uh, card on how you go about this. So on the site here, it tells you, get the lowdown on guide to checking your nuts. Get steamy. A warm shower will put your nuts in the mood. Roll one nut between thumb and fingers to get to know what's normal. Repeat with the other nut. If you notice a change in size or shape, a lump that wasn't there before, if they become painful to touch, see a doctor, don't panic, but do get it checked out. And uh, they talk about the various risk factors and uh, and what have you. So that's uh, that's a big part of uh, the Movember movement. And the the number five thing that they recommend and and they're trying to incorporate here is more movement. Move more. Add more activity to your day. Do more of what makes you feel good. Take a walking meeting. Park further away from the station. Get off the bus stop or two earlier. Instead of the elevator, take the stairs. Cycle to work instead of driving etc 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 and of course the Movember movement is you can grow a mustache and there's fundraising that goes with it um so anyways i encourage all men um and any women to encourage their men um to uh to get to get on the bandwagon here which brings us to some listener feedback now if you you're a fan of the bobcast you'll know that last year i got an email from a, a young man by the name of will joyce who um who listened to the Bobcast uh, edition uh, with the emphasis on Movember last year and actually uh, did the uh, rub your nuts thing and uh, discovered a lump and found out that, in fact, he did have testicular cancer. Um, So in any case, on uh, Monday, October 23rd, so just a week ago Monday, um, I got an email from Will and I'd like to read it to you. Um, Hi, Bob. I've been waiting to send this email until I was fairly certain we had the news we've been waiting for. On September 21st, the same day I excitedly listened to the grand return of this year's Bobcast, I received the news that I was now considered cancer-free. It is just the start of a five-year relationship with my friends at Juravinsky, but I couldn't be more thankful to many people, but specifically to you for your efforts in raising awareness and getting me started on my journey back to health as quickly as possible. I'm determined to keep that conversation going, pay it forward, and share my experiences with others who may be faced with similar challenges. Last we spoke, I let you know I was waiting for surgery. This was eventually scheduled and completed on September 1st. It was major abdominal surgery to remove a mass left over from chemotherapy, and we were thrilled to learn the mass was just scar tissue and teratoma, which is benign on both counts. It was at first, but I'm cruising now, and I was able to dance uninhibited during my wedding last week on October 14th. We had that date chosen long before my diagnosis and never once considered moving it. I'm thankful my treatment and both surgeries lined up as they did, and we could keep our celebration where it was. Again, thank you for helping me get started when I did. Bob, I hope I can buy you a pint or a margarita sometime this year, whether in Toronto or during the summer in Cobaconk when you're less busy. It would mean a lot to be able to thank you properly, shake your hand, and maybe even briefly talk, talk some hockey. This is a long email, so feel free to share with your listeners or not, but I will ask that you encourage anyone who has not yet signed up for Movember or not sure they want to get involved 
to please commit to at least educating themselves about their health and having a conversation with their friends and loved ones about theirs. Just like a well-timed podcast, those conversations could very well save someone's life. If anyone is searching for a team, Team Joyce is open to anyone who would like to raise some awareness. Sincerely, Will Joyce. I should point out that you can go to um, Motem, M-O-T-E-A-M dot C-O slash team hyphen Joyce, J-O-Y-C-E, um, and you can contribute to Will Joyce's Movember uh, fundraising, uh, and there's lots of others that uh, that go with that. Uh, there's a P.S. here from, from Will. Uh, P.S. Bob, I shed tears twice on September 21st, once when I received my good news, and once when you shared the update about your friend Stu, who passed away this summer. My heart goes out to both your families. And then there's a PPS from Will. I've been listening to the Tragically Hip on repeat since word broke about the passing of Gord Downey. I agree with your post. He left us so, so much. Cheers from Will. Well, I, I can't even begin to tell you how uh, moved I am that uh, that Will was uh, listened to the Bobcast last year, um, took the uh, Movember men's health thing to heart by uh, self-assessment on his testicles and found the cancer. And uh, here we are now, more than a year later, and uh, he's doing great. So I'm, I'm thrilled for that. Congratulations, Will, and uh, to anybody else who's uh, taking the initiative to do what needs to be done. Will, of course, uh, mentioned the passing of Gord Downey, and um, anybody who listens to the Bobcast knows that uh, uh, our last episode, episode three, was entirely devoted um, to the passing of Gord Downey and our love for the Tragically Hip and our love for Gord. And uh, I think it's safe to say there's never been as much listener feedback to any edition of the Bobcast as there was the Gord Downey tribute edition. I'll read a few of the, the sampling of that. Uh, Dear Bob, just listened to season two, episode three, while driving across Iowa. Best Bobcast ever. Thank you for that. Cheers. Willis Hart from Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, next up, uh, hey, Bob. First off, I would like to say thank you for the last episode, uh, Gord Downey edition of the Bobcast. I've been a listener since week one, season one, and I would have to say it was my favorite edition yet. I know it is hard to properly pay tribute to such an impactful man, but thank you. You were able to do so in a way that we all were able to appreciate. So thank you from myself and all of the other Bobcast listeners. That's from Matt Wasilesko, or Wasi for short, uh, from Grimsby, Ontario. Grimsby, home of the Peach Kings. Um, next one. Uh, Bob, what a wonderful tribute and incredible listen your recent episode of the Bobcast was. Just like Gord, your tribute was music to my ears. Thank you for doing that, Sean Shannon. And he hashtagged that courage. Um Hi, Bob. I work at Bell Media in the graphics department, and I just wanted to say thank you for your Bobcast honoring Gord Downey. You shared a lot of things people would never hear, and it was a privilege to listen in on your interview with him. Thanks very much for sharing. I've been a big fan of Gordon the Hip for a very long time. I only met him once at a live broadcast they did from Manta Sound, and I talked goaltending with him for a brief minute or two. I was so nervous going up to talk to him, but he was very engaging and willing to chat despite being pulled in 10 directions after the broadcast. I hope you're doing okay because I know how much you love not only the band and their music, but the men and women involved with them. Anyway, I just wanted to thank you for that Bobcast. Very well done. That from Kevin Francisco. 
Uh, here's one from Paul Greenaway. Hi, Bob. I've never emailed a show or podcast that I enjoyed listening to before, but I just wanted to say thank you for your recent episode about Gord Downey. Full disclosure, I don't listen to everyone religiously, but we'll scan the description to see if there's something that I'm interested in hearing about. I really enjoyed hearing about the personal connection you had with Gord and listening to the interview. To quote Gord from the last concert, thanks for that. That from Paul from Winnipeg. Um, hi, Bob. No question here, just compliments and thanks. As a hockey fan, I love the Bobcast. It is interesting and entertaining, both the hockey and non-hockey subjects. I enjoy your measured tone and that the show doesn't post so often that I can't keep up. Also, as a music fan, thank you for introducing me to the Tragically Hipped. I picked up your favorites back in June, and it's been in heavy iPod rotation ever since. What great music by a fantastic band. My five-year-old has begun singing along with Looking for a Place to Happen. I'm so sorry for the loss of Gord Downey. It is very evident why he was so important to so many. Thank you again and for doing what you do. See you on NBCSN. That's from Ken, a native Pittsburgher and Penguins fan from Columbus, Ohio. Here's one from Eric Bond in Barrie, Ontario. Tough week for all Canadians with the passing of Gord Downey, especially those of us who connected one way or another with the hip in their music. Pardon the generalization, but it seems to me that for Canadians, the hip art of music, what hockey is to sports, part of the DNA of the spirit of the country and able to capture the hearts and spirits of all, especially in big moments, Olympic finals, last concerts, things like that. Anyway, as someone who knew Gord, do you think he and the band understood the depth of the relationship with the people of this country and that they created something so important to the psyche of our nation? The final concert is the only thing I remember that drew anything close to the audience of the last couple of gold medal games. Thanks for the podcast and for sharing some of your relationship with Gord. I never met him. I played against him in Bantam hockey, but I've never cried so much for someone I didn't personally know as I have this week. That from Eric Bond and Barry. And to answer your question, Eric, absolutely. I don't think there's any question that Gord, his family, and the entire Tragically Hip family uh, knew exactly uh, and know exactly what they, uh, what they mean to Canada. I do know that uh, Mike Downey and Patrick Downey, who, of course, are Gord's brothers, are um, aiming and striving to uh, carry on a lot of the work that Gord started and uh, to keep that legacy um, going. Um, in particular, the Gord Downey Cheney Wenjack um, Foundation. Uh, you can go to the website Downey, D O W N I E, Wenjack, W E N J A C K dot com. So that's Downey Wenjack dot com uh, to learn more about uh, Gord's efforts, uh, specifically uh, with the uh, the book and the companion music that goes with it called The Secret Path. Um, as the website says, The Secret Path has had a tremendous impact on Canadians in learning more about the impact of residential schools and treatment of Indigenous people. Uh, since the launch of The Secret Path on October 18th, 2016, educators, community members and parents have been reaching out to share how they've been using The Secret Path and Cheney Wenjack's story to teach others about the true history of Indigenous people in Canada. So um, if you're so moved, uh, by all means, you can uh, go to that website. And uh, The Secret Path music and book is there for uh, anybody who's looking for a good Christmas present for uh, your family and to help educate them on uh, on a, a not-so-great chapter in uh, Canadian history. Um, the, I know myself, uh, after the, uh, the passing of Gord, 
I, I thought of, you know, it's great to honor him with uh, talk about him on the podcast, listen to his music, all that sort of thing. But um, uh, one of the things I'd be meaning to do for years and never gotten around to doing it was to uh, offer my services and to help out with the uh, Lake Ontario Waterkeeper, um, which is a uh, foundation that is trying to, quote, create a swimmable, drinkable, fishable future. So, uh, and, and certainly inspired by Gord, who was part of the, uh, the Lake Ontario Waterkeeper Executive, um, I made a point to uh, email Mark Matson, who heads up that organization, and tell him it was time to get off my ass and actually do something, um, because clean water is, uh, is definitely uh, uh, an issue that I hold near and dear, and uh, there's things that we can all be doing on that front. So, as I say, it's great to listen to the hip music. It's great to uh, honor Gord, but the best way to honor him is to uh, maybe get active in some of the causes that uh, were near and dear to his heart. And should also point out that at the end of the month here, um, introduce yourself, uh, the Gord Downey solo work um, that was done exclusively, I believe, after Gord um, was diagnosed with his uh, his brain cancer. It's out there now, so um, by all means, jump on that. Introduce yourself. Um, some really personal songs, each one of them, uh, Gord wrote about somebody important in his life. Uh, some more listener feedback uh, that certainly relates to music. Uh, this one from uh, Jeremy. Uh, Hi, Bob. I enjoy listening to your podcast every other week. Thank you for the time you take to make it happen. I like the episodes when you used to sprinkle in some music. I always found it was a nice break. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that it added a little variety to the questions, gave it a little pep. I understand there may be added cost for playing these songs, so I understand why you may have deleted this from your forum. Actually, no added cost. Um, Just sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. In any case, a nice suggestion there from Jeremy. We'll take that to heart here in a few moments. Um, We also got a nice uh, email from Dylan Finley from Little Wardsville, Ontario, which apparently is across the river from Bo Horvat's hometown of Rodney, Ontario, so southwestern Ontario. Hi, Bob. Big fan of yours and avid podcast listener. I've been a Led Zeppelin fan since birth, and I enjoyed your recommendation on Twitter for Robert Plant's new album. I thought maybe for the Bobcast you could make an album recommendation portion where each Bobcast you suggest an album you enjoy listening to uh, to your listeners. Thanks, Bob, and go Wings. Uh, and Dylan uh, said the go Wings is actually go for last so they can draft Rasmus Stalin. So um, there you go, some, uh, some music input from, uh, from Dylan in Wardsville. Well, guys, asking ye shall receive. You want some music? We'll play some music. You want some recommendations? I'll give you some recommendations. As uh, as Dylan mentioned, he's a huge Led Zeppelin fan. So am I. If you followed the Bobcast at all last year, you know my story of my very first concert that I ever attended at Maple Leaf Gardens, the Labor Day weekend before grade 10 started. Myself and my pal Ron Walker, we uh, jumped on the subway, no ticket, uh, showed up five minutes before the show and uh, for $4.50 got the first row of the greens at Maple Leaf Gardens, an obstructed seat to see Led Zeppelin. Doesn't get much better than that. And uh, it doesn't get much better than Robert Plant's uh, new album. Listen, we're not going to get any Zeppelin. Uh, it's not possible anymore. There's not going to be a reunion. Um, so uh, we have to live with that. But I'll tell you what, this new Carrie Fire uh, album, uh, from Robert Plant that came out a couple of weeks ago is really, really cool. And it's got a real sort of Zeppelin vibe to it. 
um, really sort of tinged with Eastern Indian style music. Um, but uh, the, the the first song on the album called "The May Queen," I can't stop playing it. So let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of it right here. Such a cool song. Uh, Plant still sounds uh, so great. So um, highly recommend Carrie Fire and uh, that song in particular, The May Queen. And uh, since we were talking about Gord Downey before, uh, you get a new Gord Downey solo album. As I said, it's called Introduce Yourself. And uh, one of the songs on there is, uh, is hockey related. You, Me and the Bees. Uh, and this is... Uh, a tribute not only to the Boston Bruins, but obviously to Gord's brothers, Mike and Patrick, uh, that, uh, as I mentioned on the, the last Bobcast, uh, there wasn't a day went by over 40 years that these guys didn't talk every day about the Bruins. As uh, Gord says in the song, the Bruins kept us tight. And uh, there's a great uh, a great reference in there to uh, not being able to get over the, uh, the Joe Thornton trade. So let's listen to uh, a little bit of You, Me, and the bees. The Bruins kept us tight. We talked about them nearly every day for over 40 years now. And we talked Mistakes 
the slumps, the streaks, the changes of that won't really change it. Oh, baby, the Bruins got the conversation going. That's good stuff from uh, from Gord, you, me, and, and the bees. Um, yeah, I haven't done the full deep dive yet on uh, Introduce Yourself. I certainly plan on doing that. I just haven't had the opportunity to really carve out some time to listen to all of it in detail, but uh, most certainly will. So um, good stuff there. Uh, okay, let's a little more listener feedback before we get to some hockey questions. Uh, this one from Michael Radzawan. Hi, Bob. I've always wanted to email you, but never really had any good questions or ideas until now. The last episode really touched me, especially the part about your good friend passing away from cancer. I had a stroke two years ago where I was hospitalized for a good amount of the time, two months. And I do have to say it really woke me up about how little time we have on this earth. I would like to thank you as watching hockey and listening and following you has really helped me along. I now pay attention to the little things more so and I'm stopped and I am stopping to, I am stopped putting things off so much. So I'm planning my first solo trip to Toronto and I'm planning to see the hockey hall of fame and go to the entertainment expo comic-con on the September long weekend next year. Is there anything else that I should check out in Toronto? Thanks again for great inspiration and hockey talk. I wish I had a hockey question, but I don't. P.S. Have you ever tried craft beer? No, I've not tried craft beer. Michael, I'm not really a big beer drinker. Um, But if you're coming to Toronto on the Labor Day weekend of 2018, um, hey, the, the Blue Jays will be playing. You've got the Hockey Hall of Fame. If you're junior hockey inclined, the, there are preseason games in the OHL that weekend, Mississauga, other places within Oshawa, within a short drive of Toronto. Um, if I were you uh, coming to Toronto as a hockey fan, I might want to hit up Maple Leaf Gardens. It's uh, it's called the Mattamy Athletic Centre now. It's actually uh, um, uh, where the Ryerson Rams uh, play hockey, but also it's a, a whole athletic centre for Ryerson University, which used to be Ryerson Polytechnical Institute that I uh, that I went to. Um, definitely worth checking out. Um, I mean, you want to do the touristy things. I, you should go to the CN Tower, I guess. But if it's a nice day, you'll get a good view at the top of the CN Tower. I've only ever been to the CN Tower once in my life. Um, a long time ago when it first uh, was first built. Um, again, it's a cliche, but uh, if you're going to be in Toronto, you want to go see one of the seven wonders of the world. Niagara Falls is kind of cool. But uh, Toronto is such a great city. So whatever you do, Michael, you'll enjoy it. Uh, it's a great entertainment district, uh, shows, concerts. Uh, there's so many great neighborhoods. Uh, my son, Sean, lives in the King West area. That's uh, tremendous bars and restaurants there. So it's just so much to do. So anyways, Michael, enjoy, uh, enjoy the weekend. Glad to hear you're doing well and that uh, you're living an inspired life. Uh, final listener feedback comes from Matthew Lombardi in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Uh, and he says, Mr. McKenzie, I'm listening to your podcast and I say you should go back to your hotel in Flushing, New York. Sleep is key. Keep up the good work. That from Matt Lombardi. And of course, Matt is referencing um, the uh, Turn Down the F and Music edition of the Bobcast, which was on the uh, Friday, October 4th, I believe, the first uh the first uh, regular season edition of the Bobcast, where I told the story of what happened to me at the uh, Aloft or Aloft, whatever you call it, 
uh, hotel in LaGuardia where uh, I had a, a tough night and complained to Starwood and the loft. And people have, uh, because we did the uh, Gord Downey tribute in the last episode, there were a lot of people asking questions about what did I end up doing um, the next time I visited uh, New York. Uh, what I did was uh, I went back to the Aloft. Now, I should point out that uh, Starwood was good. They they sent me uh, they sent me an email and said, you know, you sh- shouldn't have to put up with what you put up with. Here's, here's some points, Starwood points. I sent them back a, an email, actually, and said, listen, as much as I like points, I don't want the points here. I just want someone from the hotel to call me and... Uh, and, and tell me it's not going to happen again or explain why it did happen. So much noise in the middle of the night. And uh, that never happened. And, and But I did tell Starwood, I said, by the way, the, the modest number of points you're sending me is kind of an insult that if I did want points, you should at least make it enough to stay in a hotel, a Starwood hotel for one night. Um, so I never did get the phone call from, from the aloft. And uh, I probably in my older, more principled days would have said, that's it. I'm not staying there and gone back to the Sheraton in uh, in Flushing, but it's not as convenient. And so I decided to uh, to just give it another shot and because it is more convenient for me to go to this hotel. And uh, you know what? It's been fine. I've got no complaints. I've, I've been there two or three more times since then. Um, Starwood did come back with a little more uh, something something in terms of the points, which is always nice. I'm not going to not take them. Um, but uh, as I said, in my younger days, I would have been all fired up and that's it. I'm never staying there again and and uh, kind of cut my nose off to spite my face. But it was it was a one off. Uh, stuff happens sometimes. So uh, anyways, that's how the great hotel caper of 2017 ended up resolving itself. Let's get on to some hockey questions here. First one is from Mike from New York. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. It begins with an X. That should tell you everything you need to know right there. Hi, Bob. I've been listening to the Bobcast since episode one, and it's it's best. It's greatly uh, appreciate you doing it. In regards to the New York Rangers, if they continue to lose, what do you see as a more realistic option for a shakeup, a coaching change, or a trade. P.S. I worked at LaGuardia Airport for almost five years. It's always an adventure there. Laugh out loud. And thanks for the great beef tenderloin recipe from last season. Thank you very much from Mike from New York. Well, um, beef tenderloin aside, uh, LaGuardia aside, yeah, the Rangers are on real hard times to start the season here. Um, kind of dodged a bullet in the third period against Vegas the other night for the comeback. Um, I know Larry Brooks wrote in the New York Post that uh, Elaine Vigneault could be game to game. And if they continue to lose, uh, there's no reason to doubt Brooksy on that one. Um, But I do believe that uh, General Manager Jeff Gorton and the entire Ranger organization is much more interested in trying to make a trade than a coaching change. That's not to say the coaching change would be off the table if things continue to go south, because after all, it is New York and it is the Rangers and... uh, They're not the type of organization in the type of city where you can say, yeah, you know what, we might not be very good this year, so everybody just kind of hang with us. Everything will be good in a year or two. Uh, That doesn't cut it in New York. So I think they are looking at trades, and it was kind of a big big to-do when Glenn Sather, Jim Schoenfeld, and Doug Risebrow, and Jill Leger, four members of the New York Ranger management team, showed up to an Ottawa Senator-Montreal Canadian game earlier this week. Now, I can tell you that there had been some conversation 
between the Rangers and the Canadians. I think it's specifically as it reserved uh, uh, regarded Alex Galchenyuk, who may or may not be on the move from Montreal, depending on who you talk to and what day of the week it is. Uh, Andrew Shaw is another name that I think might have come up in in those conversations. But I did not get, I do not get the sense that as of uh, today, Friday, November third. Um, that there was anything front burner or imminent between the New York Rangers and the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, I I do think that uh, Gorton and the Rangers are looking at their options for potential centers. Funny thing about Galchenyuk, of course, is that he's not really a center. At least he hasn't been for the Montreal Canadiens. But I don't think that New York's interest in Galchenyuk or anybody on the Montreal Canadiens is, uh, is limited uh, by any stretch, I think the Rangers are prepared to deal with just about any team, especially if they think they can help themselves at center ice. And if they do continue to lose, uh, obviously Rick Nash is on an expiring contract, so they, they may want to start going further down the rebuild road, um, but they aren't at that point just yet. Um, there was also a lot of people who speculated when the Ranger brain trust showed up in Ottawa that... Uh, Kyle Turris would be of interest to the uh, uh, the New York Rangers. And I think that's true, except A, Kyle Turris wasn't playing in that game. Everybody knew he wasn't playing in that game because of a bad virus that he had. And number two, I don't think the Ottawa Senators are trying to trade Kyle Turris, but they do have the uh, situation where they're trying to get a... Uh, contract done with uh, him who's on an expiring contract and that may be easier said than done but we'll see I don't think there's anything imminent on the the trade front Um, although Pierre Dorian I should point out of course had further fuel to the fire on Tuesday night of this past week he was in Brooklyn at the New York Islander Vegas Golden Knight game and then the next night uh, watched uh, Vegas and the the New York Rangers Uh, so in any case uh, Lots of talk, and we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, next question comes from Brett Bresden. Uh, good day, Bob. Given that the Leafs Stanley Cup window was opened with the young kids, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, et al., on cheap contracts for this season and next, might there be a greater sense of urgency by Leafs management to capitalize on the cap space available and try to land a big fish via trade to help shore up defensive woes and really make a push for a championship this year? Thanks for your consideration. Cheers from Brett. Get this question a lot about the Leafs about the window and once they start paying Matthews big money in a couple of years and Nylander as early as next season and Marner in a couple of years, does it mean that they should be going for it right now? I I think the Leafs uh, recognize that there's an opportunity here um, for them this season. Um, But um, I think the big problem here is just the what level of reality is that you're going to get, quote-unquote, a big fish via trade. You know, people talk about, well, maybe trade Van Riemsdyk or trade Bozak and because those guys are on expiring contracts. What big fish defenseman precisely do you think you're going to get by trading a forward on an expiring contract? It would almost behoove you to have to get a defenseman on an expiring contract. And so what top pair or top three or top four expiring contract defensemen are out there that would make the Leafs that much better right now, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, uh, that expiring contract defenseman would have an expired contract at the end of the season. Um, So I think the Leafs, if they're on the winning track and in a playoff spot, 
Um, sure, they'll 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 sacrifice a forward to get a defenseman, but I just don't know that they're going to be there's going to be one easily or readily available. And uh, people think that what the Leafs are missing is a Drew Doughty or Eric Carlson type. Fair enough. Uh, most teams are missing a Drew Doughty or Eric Carlson type. And, of course, both those guys uh, are on expiring contracts next season, which is to suggest both the L.A. Kings and the Ottawa Senators can extend them as early as July 1 of 2018. Everybody will be keeping an eye on those negotiations, and Leaf fans will dream in Technicolor that they could get a defenseman like that uh, down the road. But... Uh, uh, the reality is, I think what you see with the Leafs is kind of what you get for now. And they think they've got the personnel to be better than they've shown in the last week. And we'll see about that. Next question comes from Adam Johnson in Calgary. Hi, Bob. I just started to listen to your podcast and yours is tops in my books. My question is about top end talent, specifically Connor McDavid. Do you think that guys like Connor McDavid, who can make the game so exciting, are actually going to make the game become more boring? The first game the Oilers played against the Flames, Connor McDavid must have had five or six breakaways and the crowd was going wild. The next game Edmonton played against the Canucks, Derek Dorsett stood beside him most of the game, and while effective, the game became very boring. The following game, the Jets had a different strategy as they just had their demon weight back so McDavid didn't even have a chance to skate by them. Do you think this is what we will see for the rest of his career? And if so, do you think McDavid can adjust like Crosby did and become dominant off the cycle and not just the rush? Thanks, Bob. Adam Johnson in Calgary. Um, yeah, I know that first game uh, McDavid played and poor uh, TJ Brody um, was victimized by McDavid's speed in that game in a big way. And we were all saying, man, this McDavid guy, he, there should be another league for him. The NHL's not good enough for, for McDavid. And, of course, both McDavid and the Oilers, to varying degrees, um, uh, fell on hard times. McDavid's actually been somewhat productive, but not as productive as we thought he was going to be. And certainly the Oilers have not been uh, anything close to what we thought we were going to be. But to answer your question, Adam, um, when you have that mantle of greatest player in the game or soon-to-be greatest player in the game, there comes a responsibility with it to fight through whatever era you're in and deal with whatever aggravation you must put up with. I mean, uh, Bugsy Watson uh, used to shadow um, Bobby Hall around in the 1960s, literally follow him all over the ice. And Bobby Hall found a way. Um, Wayne Gretzky had to put up with uh, uh, all manner of, of things when he played the game in, in the 80s and 90s. And as dominant as he was, he had to find a way around it, and he did. This is the challenge for the best players in the game. And uh, Crosby has done a really good job of keeping his emotions in check for the most part, um, to be able to not get frustrated by a lot of the illegal things that happen to him, oftentimes without a penalty being called. You can't complain about it. You can't whine about it. it it's just the way the games are played. And I have no doubt that Connor McDavid will uh, use his uh, unbelievable ability, both uh, mental and physical, um, to overcome whatever team set up to try and obstruct him from being successful. Um, he will find a way, just as all the great players in the game have found a way, and that's ultimately what makes them great and that's ultimately what makes hockey such a great game i know we don't like to see superstars abused but there's almost a noble part of that and in that the the quest for those elite generational talents to overcome 
incredible amount of attention that's focused on them. Game planning, everything, everybody on the ice designed to stop that player from being successful and that player still finding a way to be successful in spite of it all. Next question comes from Ben from Ottawa. Hi, Bob. I've been listening to the Bobcast since day one. I love the format. No bells, whistles, or rubber boots. Just good old shooting the shit on interesting topics. Like most, I would love to have it more than bi-weekly, but I understand why, so thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to bring us the Bobcast. With Montreal's trouble on the defensive end of the ice, do you think it's possible that Mark Bergevin could bring Andre Markov back after the Olympics? No NHL player can go to the Olympics, but could the Habs sign him afterwards? That from Ben from Ottawa. Interesting, I was reading um, on Twitter some debates back and forth between European hockey writers and Russian hockey writers in particular, debating whether Andre Markov at his age is going to be on the Russian Olympic team. There are those who say he will be there for sure. There are those who say that he's not in their plans. Um, so that's kind of interesting on, on that end. Um, I can tell you this. Um, I heard a rumor, and, it, and I should stress, entirely a rumor, um, which I don't normally report, but since we're on the Bobcast, I have a little more latitude to do that. This is not a report. This is not, I'm not going to radio myself and uh, and say that Andre Markov wanted to come back to the Montreal Canadiens, but there was a rumor to that effect uh, a couple of weeks ago that maybe after being there in the KHL, um, he was wondering if... Uh, Maybe Montreal would uh, would be an option. He wasn't prepared, obviously, to sign there in the off season. He could have. The, the, the Habs certainly had the cap space this year to give him a one year deal at uh, more money than he was making last year. Um, but he wanted a longer term deal, and he ultimately decided to go back. But in any case, here's the thing: whether or not Markov ever had designs on coming back this season to Montreal, it's it's now difficult if not impossible to do so um impossible is probably a strong word i shouldn't use that one but once you play in the khl once he was a free he was an nhl free agent in the summer once he started playing games in the khl this season he effectively becomes what's known as a defected player which is to suggest that while he's still a national hockey league free agent if he signs an nhl contract this season to join a team in the nhl um, he has to go through waivers to get to that team. That is, everybody would get a crack at him. So it really complicates things that if, if he did up and decide in the middle of the season or even after the Olympics that he wanted to come back to the National Hockey League, sure, he could sign a free agent contract with any team in the NHL, but uh, he would have to go through the waiver process to get to that team, and some other team might claim him ahead of the team that wanted to sign him. So uh, that's kind of where that one's at. Okay, uh, next up, a question with the Washington Capitals from Shane Astero from Cambridge, Ontario. Uh, hey, Bob, wanted to start off by saying the Bobcast has become my favorite podcast by far. Keep up the great work. I am a massive Washington, Washington Capitals fan, and I believe that although they will take a step back from the regular season, sorry, regular season success of the past, they will still be a factor in the playoffs when it really matters. All of my friends are Leafs and Hab fans and believe the window is closed for the Caps. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the team this season. A Bobby Mack minute, perhaps. Glad to hear you enjoyed your summer. Looking forward to tuning in on the radio, TV, podcast throughout the year. Cheers. Shane Estero from Cambridge. Uh, well, there's no question, um, Shane, that the Washington Capitals do not have 
the kind of depth that they had before. It's it's just not possible to lose um, Marcus Johansson, uh, to lose Justin Williams. Um, they're much more of a two two and a half line team. Now the two and a, the, when they're healthy, and and obviously Burakovsky's out of the lineup with the broken finger right now. But when they're healthy, and you've got um, uh, Burakovsky, Oshie, and Backstrom on one line, and you've got uh, Kuznetsov and uh, Ovechkin and Verana on that second line, uh, that's a real good top six still. Um, and if Lars Eller's playing really well, he can help drive that third line. But there's no question their top nine is not even close um, to what it was in the past. And obviously the departure of Carl Alsner to free agency, um, to Nate Schmidt in, in the expansion draft. Um, you know, this team is not nearly as deep on the blue line as they were, and they've had some injury problems back there as well. So you're right. I mean, it's not out of the question that they could make the playoffs. It's not out of the question that they could make some noise in the playoffs, especially if they don't have to play the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, coming through the Metro side. Um, so I don't know. Is this a year maybe they end up getting a wild card spot instead of one of the top three in the division and come up the other side through the uh, – uh, the uh, whatever they call the division, I, I'm losing my mind. Northeast Atlantic, whatever it's called. Anyways, um, you know Tampa's real good on that side, um, but um, maybe uh, a little change of scenery on the playoff route would be all it would take for Washington to do better. But uh, I wouldn't say the window's closed, but it may be closing. So uh, famous last words: If they come back and win the Stanley Cup, that you can throw in my face at the end of this season. Okay, we got multiple questions this week about the National Hockey League concussion uh, protocols, specifically as it relates to the NHL concussion spotters that can take players out of the game. First one comes from Joe Goche in Calgary. Hi, Bob. Just wondering, how did Marc-Andre Fleury not get pulled out of the game against the Red Wings on Friday, October 13th? He was clearly struck in the head with force and was visibly shaken after the contact. Why even have concussion spotters if they're not going to be used? Seems to be very loosely enforced. And of course, we should point out that as of uh, today, Friday, November 3rd, Marc-Andre Fleury is still out of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights lineup uh, because of a concussion. There were also lots of questions about the game between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Los Angeles Kings week ago Monday in Toronto, uh, where Jonathan Quick was um, removed from a game, but only for 30-odd seconds, and then put back in um, after he took some contact to the head. So lots of questions about the concussion protocol. So let's get into a little bit of a deep dive on this and um, a little little detail and actually look at it. Um, for your reference, what you may want to do, if, 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 it, if this interests you at all, just Google NHL Concussion Protocol PDF and it will take you to the nhl.bamcontent.com website and uh, you will get the, uh, the very full detail on the NHL concussion protocol. And the one that you're going to be most interested in is entitled Removal from Play for Acute Evaluation. Um, now, what it says is this protocol requires mandatory removal of a player from play for an acute evaluation 
as soon as possible if a concussion is suspected or if any of the symptoms or signs listed below exist. Okay, so now we're going to talk about um, symptoms and signs. Um, number one, symptoms. If the player reports or exhibits any exhibits one or more symptoms of possible concussion, including headache, dizziness, balance or coordination difficulties, nausea, amnesia, cognitive slowness, light sound sensitivity, disorientation, visual disturbance, tinnitus. Okay, those, obviously that's for a trainer talking to a player. Uh, you come out on the ice and, uh, or you, you see, you see these symptoms that can be a, a mandatory removal from the game. The next sign is lying motionless on the ice. A player lies motionless on the ice or falls to the ice in an unprotected manner, i.e. without stretching out his hands or arm to lessen or minimize his fall. So it's very specific. Number three, another sign. Motor incoordination slash balance problems. A player staggers, struggles to get up or skate properly, appears to lose his balance, trips or falls, or stumbles while getting up, trying to get up, or skating. And we've all seen that before where they've got the rubber legs, looks like Bambi, and, and that's the motor incoordination or balance problems. Another sign, number four, a blank or vacant look. Okay, um, self-explanatory. Number five, the fifth sign, slow to get up or clutches his head. A player is slow to get up or clutches his head, including any part of his face, following any of these mechanisms of injury. And I'm stressing this because now we're getting very specific. So if a player is slow to get up or clutches his head, it has to be under the following circumstances. A blow to the player's head or upper torso from another player's shoulder. The player's or the player's head makes secondary contact with the ice or the player is punched in the head, including any part of his face, by an ungloved fist during a fight. And then it says exceptions. If a player is slow to get up or clutches his head following a mechanism of injury other than the three listed above, Removal from play is not mandatory and club medical staff shall exercise their medical judgment as to whether to remove the player for an acute evaluation. So let's, uh, let's review here for a second. So there's got all those symptoms that you listed. I'm not sure how a concussion spotter would know a player has headache, dizziness, um, nausea, uh, or what have you. But in any case, if, if a player reports any of those to his trainer, he must be removed from the game it's mandatory lying motionless on the ice mandatory removal from the game motor incoordination or balance problems mandatory removal from the game a blank or vacant look mandatory removal from the game slow to get up or clutches his head but only if the blow is to the player's head or upper torso from another player's shoulder or the player makes secondary contact with the ice or a player is punched in the head with an ungloved fist let's talk about Mark andre Fleury for a second Flurry was struck in the head by a, a, an attacking player, but he was hit by the player's leg. So when Marc-Andre Fleury was slow to get up, and he was slow to get up, the concussion spotter at head office is looking at him and saying, hmm, he's slow to get up. Maybe I should have a mandatory removal. Oh, no, wait a second. He was hit in the head by a player's leg. He wasn't hit 
in the head by the upper torso from another player's shoulder. He didn't make secondary contact with the ice and he wasn't punched in the head. Therefore, by virtue of his being slow to get up, that was not cause to remove Marc-Andre Fleury from the game for a mandatory acute evaluation. Now, you can be upset about that. And and by all means, if you think the concussion spotter protocols are inadequate, then knock yourself out, pardon the pun. But in terms of the concussion spotter having the the power to mandate Marc-Andre Fleury being taken out of that game for an assessment, he couldn't do it because the rules don't allow him to to do that. Um, so that that handles that one. Now, the, um, the Jonathan Quick one was interesting because he got bumped and he ended up getting bumped by his own player. Um, but the initial play looked as though he was hit by a Toronto Maple Leaf player shoulder to head. And at that point, the concussion spotter in New York, as I understand it, was basically calling down and telling the LA Kings to, uh, that this player needs to be taken out of the game, that it's a mandatory removal from the game for a mandatory acute evaluation. And, um, but upon further look at that play, they realized that it wasn't the shoulder of a Toronto Maple Leaf player that hit him, that it might have been the arm or the stick of his own defenseman who hit him. So now it went from being what's called uh, a mandatory, uh, sorry, mandatory removal for acute evaluation to a mandatory removal for discretionary assessment. And this is something the trainers in the NHL all caught on to very quickly in that game. Fans were confused. Media was confused. Hey, if the spotter's calling for this guy to be removed, why did Jonathan Quick, uh, minutes later, uh, played five, six stoppages before he was removed from the game, why did he just go to the bench, talk to the trainer briefly, miss 30-odd seconds of play, and while well, Darcy Kemper went in, and then went in to find, finish up the final 30 or 40 seconds of that, uh, of that period. And a lot of the trainers we talked to during the game, other trainers from other teams, said that's what's called a discretionary, a mandatory removal. In other words, the league is mandating that he must come out of the game, but it's up to the club to determine whether he goes to the quiet room or not. And so mandatory removal for acute investigation means go to the quiet room. Mandatory removal for discretionary assessment means they can do exactly what the Kings trainers did, stand in the hallway and ask Jonathan Quick, are you okay? Do you have any symptoms? Do you feel good? No, I'm fine. Okay, good. You can now go back in the game. So again, to the letter of the law, the concussion protocol was followed both on Marc-Andre Fleury and Jonathan Quick. Now, there are many who believe it's not nearly good enough. And and that's fine. But that's on the league to have to change it and uh, and and make it more all-encompassing. I um, should point out, too, that uh, if you get an opportunity, you should maybe grab Ken Dryden's new book, Game Change, which at its root is a story of the life and death of National Hockey League defenseman Steve Monador. And it's it's quite a touching and moving story and and quite a tragic one as well but it's also obviously a a vehicle for Ken Dryden to challenge the National Hockey League 
on its penalties or lack thereof for hits to the head and concussion protocols and what have you. And one of the things that comes through loud and clear in Ken Dryden's book and in recounting the story of Steve Monador is how, I don't want to say easy, but how it is entirely possible for a National Hockey League player with a concussion to pass baseline testing and pass concussion aptitude tests and get himself back into the lineup knowing full well that he is concussed. And, uh, you know, they do game the system, some players. They make a point when they do baseline testing to do a bad job on the baseline testing. If they know they're going to be doing baseline testing to go out the night before and and have a, and come in with a hangover and and uh, and and not do a good job on the baseline testing so that when you do have a concussion or a suspected concussion and you go to baseline testing and you take it again that you've got a low standard to uh, to not beat and uh, so anyways it's we're not going to solve it here on the bobcast but uh, the book is well worth your time and uh, those questions vis-a-vis Concussion protocols, uh, more often than not, the concussion protocols are followed. The The question I would have is, are the existing concussion protocols, as they're written, good enough? And I would suspect that they need to be uh, tighter and more all-encompassing. Okay, let's switch it up a little bit. World Junior Championship coming up in Buffalo, New York, 2018 World Junior Championship. Uh, this question from Paul Taylor. Uh, hey, Bob, was trying to purchase an eight-pack of tickets for Buffalo for the World Juniors. I have to pick a quarterfinal game and a semifinal game. I would like to try and pick the Canada games. Are you able to shed any light here, knowing how the tournament breaks down? Well, Paul, I can tell you this. Uh, Tuesday, January 2nd is the quarterfinal Tuesday at the World Juniors, and there's a quarterfinal game at 12 noon at the Key Bank Center where the Sabres play. There's a quarterfinal game at 4 o'clock at the Key Bank Center. There's a quarterfinal game at 6 p.m. at the Harbor Center just across the road, the smaller rink from uh, Key Bank Center. And there's a quarterfinal game at 8 p.m. Eastern at the Key Bank Center, home of the Sabres. Um, general rule of thumb, when the tournament is in Canada or the United States, um, Canada's likely to play in the uh, primetime game at night. Now, um, if the United States, though, uh, is in one of these quarterfinal games, that's an intriguing one. So I don't have a firm answer for the question, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Canada's quarterfinal game would be the 8 p.m. game if it's not that, it would be the 4 p.m. game. It certainly wouldn't be the noon game, and uh, it wouldn't be at the Harbor Center. So uh, I think 4 p.m. or 8 p.m., I know I'm not giving a definitive answer, but uh, generally speaking, um, it's the, the, the night game is more likely to be the Canadian quarterfinal. As for the semi, same deal. There's a 4 o'clock semifinal on Thursday, January the 4th. There's an 8 o'clock semifinal on uh uh, that night, Thursday, January 4th. Um, my guess is if Canada and the U.S. were playing in the semis, for sure Canada-U.S. would be the 8 p.m. game. If Canada and the U.S. were in two different semifinals, I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. wants the semifinal game at 4 o'clock and Canada would take the uh, primetime game for TV purposes at 8 p.m. 
um, because if you're in the early semifinal game at 4 o'clock, uh, you finish up that much earlier and get a little more rest before a potential gold medal game the next night, Friday, January 5th at 8 p.m. So anytime you're buying tickets for a candidate at the World Juniors, uh, generally err on the side of primetime night games being Canadian. Uh, but in any case, if anyone is looking for tickets for the World Juniors, I would suggest you go to buffaloworldjuniors.com. Buffalo World Juniors, that's all spelled out, J U N. I-O-R-S dot com and uh, you can get tickets for the entire tournament or um, individual tickets and of course they're uh, pushing I know they're still trying to sell tickets for the USA Canada outdoor game first ever outdoor game at the World Junior Championships Friday December 29th at New Era Field home of the Buffalo Bills the playoff bound Buffalo Bills it certainly looks like so uh, there's your ticket info for uh, World Juniors Next question comes from Adam Petro, and he says, Looking back at drafts of 10 to 20 years ago, I noticed there were a number of goalies that went very high. Rick DiPietro and Marc-Andre Fleury going first overall in 2000 and 2003, respectively. Kari Lettinen going second overall in 2002. And Carey Price going fifth overall in 2005, just to name a few. Recently, it seems the highest a goalie will go is in the latter half of the first round. Have we simply not seen any top-end goalie prospects in recent years? What did the Di Pietros and Flurries of the world do in junior hockey to go first overall? What numbers would a CHL goalie require to go top five? A uh, good question from uh, from Adam about the uh, the whole goalies going in the first round, and he cites some interesting examples. and And obviously, the fact that I mean, Mark Andre Fleury turned out to be a great first overall pick. Uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, Rick DiPietro, not so much for the New York Islanders, obviously injury-induced, but nevertheless, um, there's opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how things go. Uh, Kari Lettinen going second overall uh, in 2002. Uh, Carey Price going fifth overall in 2005. Um, Trevor Timmins, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, thank you. And, of course, Trevor Timmins is... Uh, the chief amateur scout of the uh, the Montreal Canadiens who decided to go out on that limb to take Carey Price fifth overall in 2005. So let's have a quick look at uh, at what has happened. Let, well, let's do it since the, I, I call the modern era or the salary cap era of the National Hockey League from the 2005 draft forward because um, salary cap came into being for the 2005-2006 season. So Price goes fifth overall to Montreal in 05. Tremendous pick. Nobody would argue with that. Tucker Rask went 21st overall in the first round of the 05 draft by Toronto. Uh, Toronto obviously never reaped the benefit of that because the Andrew Raycroft trade. Uh, nevertheless, the Boston Bruins have. So there's two really good first-round pick goaltenders um, in 05. In 06, it was... Uh, it was four goalies going in the first round, and that's the most it's been in the salary cap era. Jonathan Bernier, 11th overall to L.A. in 06. Riku Hellenius, 15th overall to Tampa Bay. You know, I, I, I'll admit it. I said Riku who? Uh, 23rd overall. Uh, Varlamov uh, to the Washington Capitals. Um Good, good NHL goalie, but uh, you know, 
still mixed reviews. Uh, Leland Irving went 26th overall to the Calgary Flames. So in that draft, four goalies go in the first round. Bernier and Semyon Varlamov have uh, become NHL goaltenders, but not necessarily undisputed number ones. Um, Varlamov has had to deal with a lot of injuries and inconsistency. Um, but uh, cautionary tale there. 07, no goalies drafted in the first round. 08, Chet Pickard, 18th overall to the Nashville Predators. And 30th overall, Thomas McCollum to the Detroit Red Wings. Neither one of them uh, established as an as a NHL goaltender. 09, no goalies taken in the first round. 2010, Jack Campbell, 11th overall to the Dallas Stars. That's a big swing and a miss by Dallas. Uh, Phoenix Coyotes took Mark Visentine, 27th overall in that draft. So neither Campbell nor Visentine have established themselves as NHL goaltenders. In 2011, no goalies taken in the first round. In 2012, 19th overall, Andre Vasilevsky to the Tampa Bay Lightning and Malcolm Subban, 24th overall to the Boston Bruins. Uh, you know, a month ago, we might have said that uh, Malcolm Subban was not going to be an NHL goaltender, but before he got injured with Vegas, he certainly showed some signs of maybe coming around and the jury's still out on Subban as an NHL goaltender. But Vasilevsky, the start Tampa's off to, the start Vasilevsky's off to, this guy's the real deal. Uh, so that's a, a big swing and a hit for the Tampa Bay Lightning, 19th overall. Uh, no goalies in 2013 in the first round. No goalies in 2014 in the first round. And in the fifth, in 2015, Ilya Samsonov, 22nd overall to the Washington Capitals. The Capitals going back to the Russian goalie well for Samsonov, who could still yet turn out to be a real good one. Um, it's, uh, it's TBD uh, in terms of his arrival and uh, whether or not he's, he's going to make an impact or not. 2016, no goalie in the first round. And finally, 2017, Jake Ottinger. Dallas Stars went back to the goalie in the first round well at number 26th overall. Ottinger, of course, is at BU. Too early to say what uh, what the future holds for him. But you can see that the trend is definitely against goaltenders. Um, first round goaltenders really doing well. I mean, took a Rask, Carey Price, Semyon Varlamov, Bernier a little bit, um, Vasilevsky, maybe Subban, and we're still waiting to see on Samsonov and Ottinger. So you can see the hesitancy to uh, draft goalies high in the first round. I don't think if I were a team in the NHL, I would make that uh, make that leap based on the, uh, the recent history. And uh, so there's your uh, goaltenders in the first round history lesson. Alrighty then, uh, time for the final question of the Bobcast, and the honor for that goes to Paul Edmund, who has a question that is very near and dear to my heart and uh, makes me think of summer. Hey Bob, regarding your margarita maker you talk about, I saw one at Best Buy for about $180. Is that the one you have? Thanks, Paul. Yes, Paul, I imagine it probably is. If it's at Best Buy and it has the Margaritaville label on it, and it's sort of a fluorescent green. Uh, they're listed at $179.99 Canadian at Best Buy. That would be the 1.06 liter, 450 watt version of the Margaritaville Margarita Maker. Now, I should point out that there is a larger 
version of the Margaritaville Margarita Maker, Frozen Margarita Maker. It's $379.99. I did not see that at, uh, at Best Buy, but I did happen to locate that on the Bed Bath & Beyond website in Canada. And um, I, I was looking at that with great interest because I think I'm, I want to up my game next summer. Um, I'm not in, I don't do the margarita thing in the winter, um, certainly not frozen margaritas. Um, but uh, as everybody knows, in the summer, we do like to do the Bobby margarita thing at the cottage. And I think we're going to go for the three seventy nine ninety nine more industrial size strength margarita maker. So um, there you have it. That's... Uh, it's important information that nobody should be without. That's a, there's a great Christmas present for somebody. Go out to Best Buy and get them the 179.99, 1.06 liter, 450 watt, Margaritaville Margarita Maker. Anyways, uh, that's it. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's Bobcast. Um, we'll be coming back obviously in a, in a couple of weeks. And um, what we've got on the horizon here is a very busy travel schedule coming up. Um, I'm off to uh, Regina and uh, Moose Jaw for the uh, WHL versus Russia series. Uh, it uh, begins the evaluation, the real intense evaluation period for Hockey Canada relating to Canada's national junior team for the World Junior Championships. Uh, I'm going to spend some time in Owen Sound uh, where the OHL stars will be playing. I'm not able to get to... Uh, to the Quebec League games, unfortunately, um, because of schedule conflicts. We've got the, uh, the, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, coming up uh, on Monday, November the 13th. So uh, lots of good stuff uh, coming up on the horizon. And I would guess that when we come back at you next with the Bobcast on Friday, November 17th, that I will have done due diligence on the uh, the competition for spots on Canada's national junior team, and for that matter, on what should be a real good addition of Team USA as we start to ramp things up towards uh, World Junior time. So have a good one. Enjoy. Take care. All the best. Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's At TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the At TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.